Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Ashley Moore. Ashley is one of the biggest motivators I have in my personal life, and I'm telling you, this lady lives out her faith, and I've had the honor to bear witness to it. She is on the show today sharing her redemption story and how she believes you and I are called to live out our own. Join us today as Ashley walks us through how abiding leads to obedience, which leads to kingdom impact, no matter how inadequate or unworthy we may feel. Tune in today to be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in a fresh new way. Hello, Ashley. Thank you for being my guest today on the Love Offering Podcast. Hey, Rachel. Man, I've been so excited about this. I'm glad to be here. So I just want listeners to know that you and I have connected just via Compel and um, like we're in a critique group together and just online. And one of the things I love the most about you is what an encourager you are. You have been such an encouragement and light and challenger um, to me personally. I'm just so happy to record this message with you, but I want them to also know we're, we're going to, we're going to get to that encouragement and light, but your journey kind of didn't start there. In fact, your teenage years were filled with quite a bit of pain And so, Ashley, I know it's not easy to share, but would you give us a glimpse into your life um, of teenage Ashley? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Just a word on everything about how we met. Uh, I'm so thankful for Compel and just being able to connect with women like that and with women like you. And I'm excited about this opportunity. Um, But, yeah, those were those were tough times. Um, My family, we didn't go to church we were completely unchurched people, (laughs) like by the church's definition, we were unchurched. Um, And I know that'll probably surprise some people, but it's another reason why I'm so passionate about not only sharing the gospel, but living it because just like we were out there lost as ever and desperate for salvation and truth, there's got to be others. There's got to be other families like that. Um, But after my dad um, and mom divorced and my dad left, Um, In hindsight, I can tell that I operated a lot from abandonment and I felt like every, everyone had abandoned me and I was searching for love, but I was looking for it in the wrong places, um, in relationships and partying and just those types of things. But uh, I watched my family also just struggle through so much dysfunction, um, just as consequences to the lifestyle we lived. And, and I didn't know how to process that pain. And, and I guess to encapsulate it, I would say I was really in bondage to the shame of the things that had happened to me and the things that were happening to my family. Um, And I felt really helpless. Uh, So I just numbed my feelings and I had no direction, no foundation. So I went to the world, which left me empty and aching, of course. Yeah, I mean, I can unfortunately, I guess, relate to so much of what you said um, in my childhood, too. But kind of moving on to once you reached college, that college age, you said you wanted to run away from life as you knew it. So what were your college years like? Yeah, so right before I went to college, my... um, 
my my mom had remarried and she was really struggling in their relationship and she began seeking refuge from a church addictions program that a lady at work had shared with her and and she kept inviting us and um just vi- and just after visiting <laughs> the first message i heard there was the first time i ever felt conviction and the message was about premarital sex and after I heard that and was so challenged by that message, um, I really tried to change myself. Um, and what I now know was what that God was taking away things that were hurting me, like dysfunctional relationships and dependence on my family and the security that brought. Um, I, I thought he was trying to hurt me. I thought God was trying to hurt me. Um, and when my family began to struggle even more deeply, I, I just gave up. I was, I just thought I'm powerless to change this. Um, so why do I even bother? So I fully rebelled in college and um, I just really embraced that, that worldly view of college, just partying at the frat houses and doing all the, the awful things. Well, you know, because of all this, you um, were obvi- you were just angry with God, which I think is a natural response that many of us have felt before. So, you know, and I think as Christians, we often believe that life with God should be pain-free or even easy. But in fact, sometimes it's, it's the opposite. So what would you say to this kind of thought process? Oh, man, Rachel, um, to be honest, this is one of the biggest stumbling blocks I see to people's spiritual maturity and growth. Um, it was mine. If things got painful and uncomfortable, I was out. Um, and in a world and a culture that sells you comfort like nobody's business. I mean, think about our cars with our heated seats and, you know, we live in our big fancy houses. Um, when things get uncomfortable, according to the world standards, it feels like you're doing something wrong. Like you're doing life wrong. And it's like, we don't know what to do with pain and suffering. But, but the truth that I've discovered is that God has a profound purpose for suffering in our lives. And that is to make us know him, to make us and transform us to be like him and for us to do what he did. Um, the reality is Jesus suffered and he told us to take up our crosses too, whatever that looks like for you, whatever crucifying your flesh looks like. Hmm. Yes. So what, uh, what role did surrender play in your journey? Uh, everything. (laughs) So surrender was, it was equal parts the beginning. I mean, I had to surrender my entire life to God on the side of that road in college. Um, I just had made a mess of it. So I gave it to him, but it's also something I've had to continually put into practice. Um, Every day we face thousands of temptations to do things our way, but God says, choose his way. And most times his way is more challenging and our way seems more appealing, but our way is often, um, my way is often, it's the, it's the easy way out. And we're not challenged to grow when we do things the easy way. And if we're not growing, we're not offering fruit to anybody else. So if, if we've never lived through hard things, how can we possibly comfort anybody else? 
And if we've never given up anything, how can we ask someone else to do that? Um, surrender is everything. Yeah. And it makes me think of the narrow road, like, and, it, and so much of what I would choose is usually what's best in the short term, but God's way is what's best in the long term. Well, short term and long term. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, I think you kind of alluded to this earlier, you know, we are all being sanctified day by day. And you say that you think that God loves the process. And actually, I, I love this because my pastor just talked about kind of trusting the process um, and that we're all in process and t- kind of to give everybody some grace because we are all in process until he calls us home. But so would you chat more about this, about sanctification and, and the process? Absolutely. Um, so my favorite way to explain this um, is the analogy of weeds and trees. Um, if you think about it, weeds are abundant. They spring up overnight, but they're gone tomorrow. Um, when the seasons change or when a storm comes or God forbid a mower comes, (laughs) they're not able to withstand. Um, but God's not in the business of growing weeds. He's in the business of growing trees and, um, we have a little boy, my first little boy, and we named him Cypress after a tree. And that name came from the verse in Jeremiah seventeen eight, And it says, they are like trees planted along a riverbank, riverbank with the roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. God is growing a substantial fruit bearing tree in us and trees take time to grow. Uh, You got to grow roots down into him and then you can grow up and then you can make leaves and then you can offer shade and then you can produce fruit. Uh, But what I see a lot, Rachel, is people settle and they give up before God even gets started good. And it's tragic because we need people. We need believers. We need Christians to fulfill their role in the body of Christ to bring his kingdom. It's a collaborative effort and the body struggles when everyone isn't in place. So I just, I just know that salvation is so much more than our free ticket to heaven. There's work to be done here on earth or we wouldn't be here. Oh, Ashley, that's the love offering message. Like, right. (laughs) We've got work to do, but not in like a striving way, but because that's what we're called to do. It's a commission. Absolutely. So good. Well, so, okay. So obviously a huge part of your story involves your husband, Colby. I think that's a given, but so would you just share about your relationship and, and some of the feelings of inadequacy that you first felt regarding him? Absolutely. Um, so how I grew up completely unchurched, Colby grew up completely churched. Um, and not only was he churched, but, um, he lived his faith, like from the time he was really, really young, Colby obeyed God. Um, and man, when I met him, I compared my story to Colby's and I fell so short and I just struggled so hard with that. Um, and honestly, if I'm being honest, he's still a saint compared to me, but, um, (laughs) 
but God was gracious to us in different ways. And I see that now. And um, he was really sovereign in putting us together as a fuller image of Christ and his bride. And that's what marriage is. That's what the marriage story tells. Mm, Yes, yes, yes. So uh, we all face these feelings of inadequacy, I think, in some form or another. And we don't think that we are good enough or have what it takes to accomplish what God is calling us to do. So you've come to the conclusion that it is not about us at all. So what makes you come to this conclusion? Uh, The Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But seriously, uh, we talk ourselves out of things so easily because we make these long lists of excuses of why we can't do something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think about Moses when he encountered God at the burning bush and he gave God this huge list of why he wasn't enough. He wasn't eloquent enough in speech. You know, what would the Israelites think about him? You know, he was raised with a silver spoon in his mouth. Like how, how could he go back and face them after he had murdered, you know, the Egyptian in front of them? Um, But the reality is that it's not about us or our strength or what we bring to the table. Um, What we have to realize is that if we're a believer, we have the power of the living God inside of our bodies. Um, and after Jesus's death, burial and resurrection, he gave us direct access to him, direct access to that power. And whatever he's asking us to do, he's fully capable of giving us what we need to do it. Um, Hebrews 13, 21 says, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. And may he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him, all glory to him forever and ever. Amen. And there are people that God has ordained to cross our path and to see the parts of his image that he weaved into our being. They need us. And we may be the only glimpse of the gospel that they ever receive. And that's not about us. And no excuse we have is enough of a reason to not step into what God is calling us to do. Um, Moses asked God, he said, but, but who do I say sent me? Who do I tell them gave me authority to do these things or say these things? And just like God told Moses, he's telling us, you tell them that I am sent you. Mm. I am sends us. Mm-hmm. Daily. You yes. know, and I, it makes me think too, of like the going back to your childhood, the unchurched Ashley, like if somebody hadn't have gone and, and invited or, you know, like, it's like, you would have never become the church, Ashley, you know, right? But, yes. but beyond that, not just churched, but living out your faith as you are doing. Um, so let's talk about God's story of redemption for a little bit. How have you seen your life as a part of God's redemptive story? And what would you say to the listeners about their part in it? This is a good question. I like this question. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool how I've seen it. Um, but each season of my life, I've seen how God is writing the same stories of the Bible onto my life. Um, when I met Colby, it was the Hosea and Gomer story. Like we were textbook Hosea and Gomer. (laughs) And with my writing and online ministry, I feel like it's been a Moses story or it's been a Joseph story. And even now, like we talked about earlier, Rachel, um, 
before we got on this call, like we're about to buy this piece of land that no joke, God promised this to my husband when he was 13. And it's literally like the Israelites and the promised land. And Mm. what's even stranger is that most of these stories have played out as I was reading that book of scripture. Um, But, but when I think about that, it's really not that strange because, I mean, what does the Bible say about Jesus? It says he was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what Jesus does through our lives. He becomes the, we become the flesh of the word of God as we follow him and surrender our plans for his story. And our life becomes this physical portrayal of his story, a walking, living, breathing Bible story. And what I would say to listeners is that we have to steward that business well, that we'll have to account for what we've been given. And God hasn't spared anything, not even his son. So we got to go and we got to be the hands and feet of Jesus for the people who are in desperate need of not only his salvation, but also to help them step into the role of the body of Christ that they were made for. That's the model. That's disciples making disciples. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey all I've commanded you. That's the great commission that we find in Matthew. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, preach it, girl. I mean, my eyes, I'm going, I wish you could see me. I wish the listeners could see me because like tears are in my eyes and I just, I feel, and now everybody knows why I said you're the encourager and the challenger. That's how I opened up this whole conversation because that's who you are and that's what you believe. And that's, what, and now I'm like, oh, I believe it. I'm going to do it. Like, let's go. You know, that's how it's so, oh, that's, so, the, so that's the hope. That's the hope. In the flesh, that was so good. That's that was, I mean, there were so many quotes in there, but I'm going to pull that one out for sure. But um, okay, so moving on to the next question, you have discovered that in your darkest hours of your life, the power of Christ has shown through the brightest. So I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit more on this. Absolutely. So um, what comes to mind is probably my testimony. Um, it took when I was in college getting a DUI. I went to jail. Um, I lost my license for a year and lots and lots of humbling for God to get to me. Um, I just naturally consider myself a pretty tough person. I'm pretty pain tolerant. And I think God knew it was going to take a certain pain threshold to get my attention and for me to get to the end of my own strength and my own willpower and really the end of my own sheer determination. But Once I'm there, once God gets me there, I just want to quit. I'm done. But that's what surrender is. And that's where God shows up. And that's where I can't take any credit for what he's done. It can only be explained by giving him full credit. And my testimony has a certain power behind it because people that hear about my past know, man, only God changed that girl. (laughs) Only God could have rescued and redeemed and changed the trajectory of that girl's life. Um, And throughout my life, he stripped a lot of things out from under me at different points. Um, And I always thought, Rachel, I always thought it would kill me. But what happens is when those things are stripped away, he's always there and he's always been under there sustaining me the whole time. Mm, Yeah. 
Well, okay. So kind of back to this, like thinking about Moses and like, do we really have anything to give or thinking back to the shame, uh, you know, of our past or whatever, you know, sometimes we just don't think we have anything to give, but you encourage women to stay on mission and leave the results up to God. So can you give us a biblical example or maybe one from your own life, how this has been proven true for you? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll give you both because I don't do things halfway, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning that about you, and I'm thankful for that. <laughs> uh, but but seriously, um, are there are there any other recovering approval seekers out there? Yes, me. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I think a uh, a lot of us kind of fall into that category, but. I think I've always felt like I needed permission to do the things God's calling me to do. But what I've often found more than permission, people giving me permission is opposition. Um, when me and Colby decided to get married, we were told it wasn't a good idea. The time wasn't right. Um, we needed to finish school first. Um, and then later, you know, shortly after we were married, the Lord told us to move across the country to Oklahoma and, Again, we were met with so much opposition. We were told even by well-meaning church people that um, it wasn't a good idea, um, that that wasn't financially smart. And then again, when we wanted to start a family, people were like, are you sure you want to do that? You should wait. Um, Just a lot of opposition. And if I'm being honest, I have been and still struggle with this, but a slave to the approval of others. And I let it discourage me for too, too long. And I mean, let's go back to the Bible. If Jesus would have let the naysayers, the Pharisees or the doubters, I mean, think about the people that he he lived in his hometown with. They doubted. They were like, how can this, you know, this son of the carpenter, how can he be doing this? Who is he, you know, or if he would have let the people that just flat out rejected him. Think about the rich young ruler. I mean, he gave him truth, like give up everything and then you can follow me that he rejected him and he walked away. He chose a different path. But what if Jesus would have let those people stop him from going to the cross? Mm. Where would that have left us? Uh, just like the moon doesn't need permission to come out and light up the night sky. We don't need the green light from anybody to do whatever God tells us to do. If they reject you, keep moving, keep sprinkling the seed. What it produces is up to God. And he says his word never returns void and that nothing we do for him is ever in vain. We got to be unshakable. Like it says in first Corinthians 15, 58. Well, and as you're talking too about, you know, if you look at Jesus and how many people doubted him and were kind of na- were naysayers to him, but it didn't detract him from his mission. And then what you said really struck a chord with me because then had he not fulfilled his miss- mission, then our life would obviously be vastly different. And then I transfer that to our our lives, that if we don't do what he has called us to do, there are people if we don't fulfill our mission, there are people that will then have the consequences that we, cause we didn't do our job. Does that make exactly. Sense? Yeah, uh, it does. I mean, think about me again, completely unchurched, completely lost. What if that church fan would have never came down to that trailer park and picked me up? Uh, what, what would have happened? I would have died without knowing God and could have possibly faith being face being eternally separated from him. We have to think about that. The consequences are high. The cost is high. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about obedience for a minute then, because I, cause I really genuinely love your heart to obey. So 
how have you continued to persist in obedience despite the response of others, even when it gets hard? Uh, This is really, really, really simple. Abiding in Jesus, abiding in God's word. That's it. My relationship with God is my foundation and I return to him as much as I need to. When I'm wavering, I ask him to show me what's going on. What do I need to let go of? What wisdom do I need to keep going? Sometimes I just unload on him because he can handle it and people can't handle that. And I just take it from my experience. I've heard a lot of people like my husband and parents and family putting the pressure and expectation on them to sustain my faith. And they can't sustain that type of pressure. Only God can do that. We have to get in his word. We got to learn it. We got to know it. We got to return to it. We got to abide in him and our life will bear fruit even when it's hard. And we have everything we need because we have him and we have his presence. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So the purpose of our obedience is to have an impact, which is kind of what we've been talking about. And one of the most impactful stories that I've read from you stemmed from a Clayton Jennings quote that reads this. It says, I dreamed that there was a massive wave growing far off in the ocean undetected. In my dream, the wave would grow when God's people prayed. In the middle of the swell was a bright light in the water. It was so bright, I couldn't look at it at all. When I tried to look away, a voice told me to look back and to pray the wave would grow. I began praying, and it grew to the size of a skyscraper. I asked God where the wave was going, and he said, to baptize my people. I watched as the wave flooded every country and every city, flowing through the streets but not drowning a single person. Everyone was smiling, and people were worshiping, standing inside the water but unaware that it was there. The water was salvation for the thirsty, and the wave was another great awakening, end quote. So, Ashley, because of this quote, God has stirred in you a great awakening and the desire to bring about a great awakening while you are here. And you are convinced that he will use his people, which is us, to do it. So would you share more on your heart on this subject? Man, yeah, I love that quote, and I love that visual. Don't you just love that visual? Yes, and I had never seen it or heard it before before you shared it, and I love it too. It's so good, but I think what happens, Rachel, is we overwhelm ourselves before we get started. We're like, okay, yeah. like, God wants to use us. He wants to save all these people. Like, oh, God, where do I even start? Yeah. But it's really as simple as obeying God in your life, like what he asks you to do. And I mean, you think about it, that's all Jesus did. He obeyed the father, no matter what the cost and look at the impact that made on all of us. Um, obey what God is asking you to do, abide in him, bear the fruit he designed you to bear in your sphere of influence. So that's at your job, at your school, at your home, in your marriage, within your friendships. And it's, it's all about this ripple effect, like that obedience ripples out. And as more and more of his followers do that, the wave becomes unstoppable. And that's how we do God's will. That's how we make the kingdom come. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, I almost, I think there's another Teresa quote. I don't know. I think it's her about being like drops in the ocean almost. Like yes. sometimes we feel like our, what we are contributing is just a drop, but if we all give a drop, then then becomes more and more water and then makes the wave. I, I, I just, I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up. But so you say, and I actually agree with you that we were all made for impact. And I believe this wholeheartedly. So 
for the woman listening today that maybe is feeling like her life isn't making an impact, how would you encourage her today? I would tell her it is. Uh, we gotta, we gotta stop letting Satan have more power than he deserves. He's a liar and he will lie to you and he will tell you what you're doing doesn't matter. And it's not the truth. And man, uh, we, I did this today. We've got to combat those thoughts with thoughts of God's power. So go read Job 38 through 41. And please tell me what the devil has on a God like that. Like nothing. He has nothing on that. And in Revelation 12, 11, I love this scripture. This is probably my favorite scripture, but it says that the enemy will be destroyed by two things. So the first is the blood of the lamb. That's Jesus's job. He's already done that. And Mm -hmm. then, and then here's our part, the word of our testimony, how we experience God every day in our life will defeat the enemy whether it's a boring life or not. uh, Our lives matter. Uh, I don't care if you just wash dishes every day. The Bible says, do it as if you were doing it for the Lord, being unshakable, knowing that nothing you do for him is ever in vain. Be trusted in the little bit he's given us and do it for his glory. And something I tell myself all the time, and I, I think about it like this, um, like I can't tell, I can't talk about my life without talking about Colby because I'm married to him. Um, I think we can do the same thing with Jesus Entangle your life so intricately with him that you can't even talk to a stranger without mentioning him. Like people would ask, why did we move? Well, that was a, that was a chance for me to share the gospel because God made us move. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can just entangle our life with him like that. And, and God's economy is not like ours. God can do a lot with just a little bit. Think about the mustard seed. Think about the five loaves and the two fish. Give that to him. Give him your five loaves and your two fish faithfully, and he will use it. <sighs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem like a good enough response to all of that. But I mean, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so, okay. So what about the woman who feels like the impact is all up to her and she's just tired and kind of feeling defeated? What would you say to her? I would say she she needs to ask God what she needs to surrender. And I don't say that haughtily. I have to do this for myself. Um, and then not only ask God, but expect that he's going to prompt you and the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you. And then you need to obey what he says. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Um, It may be a sin or it may be a weighty habit, just something that's weighing you down. But God is always shaping and pruning and growing us and prompting our spirit. And if we're tired, it's likely that God might be asking you to surrender something or we also got to remember this, like those who hope in the Lord, their strength will be renewed. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like Eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Um, we can keep hoping in him and we're not going to be put to shame. He'll do everything he says he's going to do, including give us what we need to in patiently endure our race when, when we get weary. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yes, he will. So Ashley, this season, I'm asking all of my guests who has loved them well and how have they loved you well? So 
who first comes to mind for you? Uh, 100% Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Y'all knew I was going to say Jesus, but mm-hmm. for real, he's my everything. But second, second running, my husband, Colby, uh, 100%. Um, he's been all in to follow Jesus radically with me from day one, even before I even came along. Um, he's taught me to dream big and he is so peaceful when I am anything but, um, he keeps me even keeled and his personality challenges me to grow and mature in ways that other people can't really reach me because I'm real stiff necked. Um, (laughs) but essentially, man, Colby, he has provided fertile soil that I've been able to grow and flourish in and I'm so grateful for him. So yeah, Colby, my husband has loved me so well. Mm, Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for being my guest and just for encouraging us all to abide, which leads to obedience, which leads to kingdom impact, no matter how inadequate and unworthy we may feel. God bless you, friend. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Ashley Moore. I hope that it encouraged you to abide, obey, and led you to want to give your own kingdom impact no matter how inadequate or unworthy you may feel. If you're interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams Author on Instagram or on Facebook. I'd love to connect with you there. And you can also have them sent directly to your inbox each week by going to rachelkadams.com and subscribing to receive my weekly love offering newsletter. I'd also be honored if you would consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the love offering podcast on your favorite listening platform so that other women can find this love offering message as well. Next week, my guest is Bethany Ricks. She is a blogger over at My Way With Words and is the author of An Inconvenient Journey. Next week, we are going to be talking about wholeness and healing. So I will chat with you then. But until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love.